Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about the big GIFX upgrade. And you thought that test couldn't get any more clinically useful? We're about to blow your mind. Oh, it's bigger and badder than ever, people. Let's go. This is going to be fun. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Welcome to episode four. It's the Lab Report. My name's Michael Chapman. And I'm Patty Devers. Welcome, everyone. Man, excited to be here. Yeah, totally. Actually... I'm feeling much better, you know, getting a little bit more comfortable with the microphone. How about you, Michael? I mean, you and I talk all the time, so there's really nothing to fear as far as conversation, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely getting more comfortable with this this big microphone here. Um, you know, it's as comfortable as I can be. Yeah, sometimes being, you're pretty awkward. Being myself. Y- yeah, you think? Even to me. Hey, this may come as a surprise to you, but I'm really bad at parties. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's true. No, like, th- here's a Shocking. good example, right? Like we had a holiday party this uh-huh. past weekend, yeah, and and I just I'd never know what to do. There's like all the <laughs> friends, family, and people come up to me, and like literally we're just standing next to each other in silence uh-huh. for a while, uh-huh. and then like the the first thing that I can think to say is, "Do you like learning about the planets?" <laughs> True, which is just a terrible question because one, it's wow. a yes or no question. And that conversation's going nowhere. You know it's going nowhere. Wow. All right, and note to self, I'm not inviting you to any parties. Please don't. Yeah. Just please don't. <laughs> I, I can't handle it. Seriously. You're so odd. But uh, enough, about, enough about me. What let's talk doing? about some, let's talk about this stool testing here. Oh, right. The big upgrade. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we've been talking about stool testing and... I think we're we're just really excited to to really be digging into digging into uh, digging into the 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 new GIFX the GIFX upgrade that's going to be coming out relatively shortly. Well, like you mentioned, we've been talking about stool testing for a couple of episodes now, right? We're talking about the importance of the microbiome and where the commensal bacteria fit in, and and the need for stool testing in the functional medicine space, and how the GIFX itself fits into that. And we know that it already at baseline has a significant amount of clinical importance um, and answers many questions. So what in the world could we possibly be upgrading? I know. I think one of the things that we really wanted to do was understand the functions and have a way to specifically evaluate the functions. We're doing that to a certain extent with the GI effects already, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to, to devise a way to make that even clearer to the clinician. And like synthesizing I, the information differently, you mean? Synthesize it a little bit clearer, synthesize it, and make it more actionable. Okay. Because with all of our tests, the end goal is clinical utility, right? You want to find the dysfunction and then know what to do as a, you know, from a clinician standpoint. And so when I think about GI and I think about stool testing, I'm trying to evaluate the main functions, digestion, inflammation, immune response, gut microbiome, all those things. But we'd already been measuring those. We have been measuring those. So what you're talking about is kind of a different layer to that. It's an added layer. Okay. And the first thing, the, the, the first layer that we added was a scoring system. 
What kind of scoring system? It's essentially a zero to 10 scoring system, 10 being maximum dysfunction. So for each one of those categories, digestion, inflammation, microbiome, you're going to get a, a score based on the patient's results on a zero to 10 scale. So it's going to give you a severity score. And that allows you to hone your interventions based on based on the score. Like where to focus first, you mean? Where to focus first, right. Because you would think the areas that are most dysfunctional are going to be the areas that you focus on first. And we know that all of these aspects are interrelated, right? Digestion and absorption right. is related to, mal to, to problems with the gut microbiome, is related to inflammation and immune response. They're all interrelated. So when you start to be able to identify the, the areas for a particular patient that are, are problematic, then you're getting, you're directly treating the root cause. But then how do you pick a place to focus if it's also interconnected? You're going to focus on the places where the patient has the worst results, right? So in one patient, they might be doing just fine when it comes to digestion and absorption, but their gut microbiome has a level of infection or at least dysbiosis. So the way that it's laid out is actually there's one score for maldigestion. There's one score for inflammation. There's one score for dysbiosis. There's a score for infection, which is different. And we separated that out because when we're talking about infection, we're talking about pathogens or parasites. Or potentially pathogenic. Or maybe even potentially pathogenic aspects. So that would be where you would introduce antimicrobial therapy as compared to dysbiosis, which is where you might encourage probiotic foods and, and probiotics. The last area that we're looking at is actually gut metabolites. So the, the metabolism of your gut bacteria. And that's where we're looking at things like short-chain fatty acids, beta-glucuronidase, butyrate, those sort of things. So those are the five scores that you would be getting on the front page. Okay. So with that, you're going to give us scores, and yeah. we know that they kind of interact, but it's going to give us a place to focus. The reason why we did this is... We wanted to align with the general functional medicine community as well. Way back when the GIFX was set up in the DIG format. And so we really wanted to emphasize that because I think we're all getting to an agreement that these are the main functions. And so you're actually going to see that those five evaluations are in a DIG format as well. So we just wanted to align with the community and give them the information that, that they're educating on. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And so... You know, people like simplicity. People like having somewhere to focus. They like having guidance right, right on the front page right. of the report. Right. So when you give us these scores, right. so then what? Yeah, directly underneath the scores are all sorts of therapeutic options that you could be using. So certainly we're not going to put everything that we possibly can on because it would be an incredibly long report. But you can look at the, the main therapeutic options that you would pick and then align that with a patient's score. So if somebody has a really high score in two of the areas, you would look underneath those two scores and say, okay, these are some things I might consider from an uh, intervention standpoint. So that's the added layer, yes. the therapeutics, showing you where to focus and then giving you options on what to do right, right on the report. Right. And that's just the front page. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. That's a lot. Yeah. And then after that, we have the, the microbiome part of it, pages two and three are strictly a microbiome analysis because at the end of the day, we know the microbiome is really, really important, but we're still, uh, and sometimes it feels like we're still a, maybe in our infancy 
or maybe our toddlerhood and understanding what to do with it, right? We have all this information around clinical associations in the microbiome or the microbiome affecting particular areas of gut health and systemic health, cardiovascular, pulmonary, you know, everything. And we talked about this with Christine Stubbe about how to read that page and how to synthesize results. And right, so right. this is kind of what you're talking about. Right. So the next two pages are completely dedicated to a, a full microbiome analysis. In what way? Well, so first we're talking about abundance. So we have it kind of categorized. We're talking about abundance. Then we're talking about dysbiosis. And then we're talking about balance. So those are the kind of the three sections. But starting with abundance, the first thing you get is total abundance, which means compared to a healthy cohort, does this patient have more bacteria or less bacteria? And what that's going to tell you is that if they have less bacteria, I'd be investigating why. Why do they have overall less bacteria compared to a healthy cohort? Were they exposed to antibiotics? Are they not getting enough fiber or prebiotic foods in their diet? And conversely, if they have more bacteria compared to the healthy cohort, is this problematic? Do they have signs and symptoms of SIBO? Those would be some of the questions I might be asking. Interesting. But we already have the total abundance. You're just taking it to a different level here. We have the total abundance. I've, on the front page, it's actually listed as relative abundance. But if you look at the, that, the whole height of the pillars, if you're familiar with the report, then that gives you a, a total abundance. We're just making it a little bit clearer. And then we'll be doing the relative abundance after that. Great. Yeah. The other thing is dysbiosis, because as we've talked about before, dysbiosis is a really broad term, right? Essentially a change in your gut flora that may or may not be associated with symptoms that may be specific to each individual. So what we wanted to do is identify what we're really talking about with dysbiosis. And that's where we started doing internal data analysis to try to get to the heart of what these different patterns look like. And if you'll remember, we talked about methane previously mm -hmm. on a previous mm -hmm. episode, but the first area of dysbiosis is called inflammation-associated dysbiosis. And maybe you want to talk about, about that a little bit? Well, no, it comes down to the whole concept we talked about when we spoke about the commensal bacteria, that we try to, in our brains, make pattern analysis right. and associations. And so what Genova's clinical evidence department did was we took some of our information and tried to find pattern analysis with things like inflammatory markers right. and and in fact published a paper regarding the inflammation associated dysbiosis in the sense of an imbalance of commensal bacteria either being directly associated with inflammation or setting a person up for yeah. inflammation to come. Yeah. And the way that this took transpired was first started working with UCLA in what was called the OptiCal study. And what we were doing there is, is seeing whether there was a, a overall pattern of a change in the microbiome mm -hmm. that was associated with calprotectin and could distinguish people with IBD from other functional bowel disorders. Just looking at the bacteria. Not Just looking at the bacteria. And what ended up happening was kind of interesting because what the OptiCal study showed was that they were looking at the, the full total abundance, essentially, and saying the total abundance didn't, didn't really seem to correlate. Right. But we took it a step further and we said, okay, well, we see that, but actually individual bacteria do trend with 
the inflammatory markers. And so we pulled out those that were positively correlated and we pulled out those that were negatively correlated. And then we created an algorithm around that so that when the ones that are positively correlated are high and vice versa, the ones that are negatively correlated are low, that should be able to predict inflammatory markers, which it did. And we actually demonstrated that with the same OptiCal study, that this algorithm was able to distinguish IBD patients from healthy cohort as well as functional bowel disorders. So interesting. So that was the first layer. And then the next layer comes, well, some people might have inflammation, but it's not to the point that it's driving calprotectin and it's not to the point that it's necessarily diagnostic for IBD but it's just a dysbiotic pattern. So if you were to find this type of a dysbiosis, you could even be detecting an early indicator for a trend towards inflammation just based on their dysbiosis pattern, which is why it's called the inflammation-associated dysbiosis score. And that is a game changer. Yeah. In the sense of adding to that conversation about how the commensal bacteria not only can be a root cause, but contribute to other systemic disease. And so by recognizing this pattern before you see changes in the inflammatory markers, like I said, this could be a game changer. Yeah, because we all know in the functional functional medicine community, at least I think many of us are supposing that microbiome changes are probably the prodrome of developing other conditions. I think, you know, we don't know that for sure yet, but that's something that we're starting to suspect that the microbiome, because it has so many different clinical associations that detecting changes in that early could be a, a way to, to, to prevent the development of, of disease. And so if you're able to pluck out just inflammation starting with, then you're able to detect this particular pattern that is driving that. So based on that published paper and this algorithm, you're telling me that this is now going to be added to every GIFX report? It'll be added to every GIFX report. And if you're seeing that that particular dysbiosis pattern is elevated, I would be looking to see whether their inflammatory markers are elevated, whether they have a, a history that seems like in, inflammation might be part of it, or maybe even you know, a microscopic colitis or other types of IBD, and then really working hard to rebalance the gut flora right. from that standpoint. With other modalities like we talked about. Yeah, and it's also going to play a role right. in the overall scoring for dysbiosis and, and, and those sort of things. Okay, so that's one type of dysbiosis, yeah. right? That's one type of pattern. And like we said, there are a lot of different definitions. Right. But there's also another type of dysbiosis that we're going to score. Can you tell me a little bit about that, Michael, the methane dysbiosis score? Yeah. So the methane dysbiosis score, what we did here was we took GIFX reports and we compared them alongside patients who had also done a SIBO test. And so what we were able to discover is what are the, what are the changes in the flora that were able to predict positive SIBO results? So not just the methanogens. You're talking about other bacteria as well? Other bacteria as well. And I should specify that not they didn't just have positive SIBOs. They had positive methane SIBO scores. I see. Right? So they had elevations of methane production. And methane is a little bit tricky when we're talking about SIBO because the SIBO consensus paper necessarily it said the diagnostic criteria for SIBO is hydrogen, elevations in hydrogen. And methane is kind of this separate thing that might be even problematic at, at baseline or, or any amount of production of it might be problematic. 
And so what we wanted to do was, can we detect a dysbiosis, a, a pattern of dysbiosis or a pattern of commensal bacteria that was able to predict elevated methane on the SIBO test? And we were able to do that. And this particular score, like you said, is called the methane dysbiosis score. And what we're thinking here is we know higher levels of methane can slow transit time and, and has that kind of weird relationship to SIBO and might be related to bloating and some of the signs and symptoms. But we started running that score back across our other results too to see if there was anything else that correlated. And interestingly, there was an inverse correlation between the inflammatory markers and the methane score. So you can see we started to put this piece, this puzzle piece, <laughs> the pieces of the puzzle together <laughs> such that higher levels of methane was resulting in a tendency for lower inflammatory markers, lower calprotectin, lower eosinophil protein X, lower fecal secretory IgA, and a general lower immune response. So that's really interesting because what you're telling me is that it's almost an inverse or opposite to the IAD score, that a different pattern of these bacteria almost lower the inflammation. Lowers, versus, the, yeah, lowers the inflammation. Versus potentiate the inflammation. Right. And it seems almost that it might be more specific to the immune response of the gut. And one of the reasons why I say that is because with the fecal secretory IgA being lower, what we started to find was there was a correlation between that methane score and pathogenic infection with things like blastocystis. And so the hypothesis, the working hypothesis there is that low, higher methane re results in lower immunity in the gut, mm -hmm. which allows an environment for infection with pathogens and maybe some, some parasites like the blastocystis. Interesting. So we're going to recognize patterns that have to do with inflammation with the IAD score. We're going to look for patterns that are associated with methane dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. And what do we do with that? Yeah. So there, actually, interestingly, we not only are just giving those scores, we are aligning them in sort of an X and Y axis. We're in a, in a graph, a two by two, so that you can determine whether your patient is high methane, low inflammation, high inflammation, high methane, because they have different clinical interpretations. You actually might use different therapies. For instance, if you have a high methane and a high inflammation, in that patient, you would be more inclined to use something like an antimicrobial or antibiotic as compared to somebody who has a low methane because they would actually maybe even be to the detriment and it would further impair their microbiome. So we're, we have all those details laid out. We're going to have tons of support materials on on the, the different dysbiosis scores, as well as how they, they put people in essentially what we're calling different zones for dysbiosis. But you can see that we're starting to build this tree of what are the different patterns of dysbiosis and how does it change my clinical treatment? Right. And that's where you're seeing what Genova, how Genova is unique. We have hundreds of thousands of profile results and we can start to see those patterns and take those patterns create scores that actually alter your treatment. That's right. 
That's right. That's clinical utility. So that's, we're still talking about the microbiome assessment. So we talked about total abundance. We talked about the dysbiosis scores. We also are having the commensal balance graphic, which currently exists on the report. And that's a, another algorithm that was used to separate people who had unhealthy guts. And this isn't just inflammation or methane. This is across multiple conditions like mood disorder, like autoimmune Mm -hmm. diabetes. So we're able to use this algorithm to look at all 24 commensal bacteria and be able to predict whether that patient is more akin to the healthy cohort when it comes to, yeah, you, you like that? <laughs> just smiling that I use that <laughs> word. Did I use it right? You did. Okay, good. So we're, we're able to determine whether that person's commensal bacteria looks more like the healthy cohort or looks more akin to <laughs> one of these different disease groups. Very exciting. And then the last thing we have is the relative abundance. That's, that's sort of the last the last little piece of it. And Christine talked about this a little bit in her webinar, as well as we, we talked a little bit about this on the previous podcast. But the relative abundance is telling you about the different phyla. And you're comparing the patient's phyla, so the, the bacteroidetes, the firmicutes, the proteobacter, those phyla, we're comparing those over the healthy cohort to see if there's minor alterations in that. And, and maybe you want to chime in with what you think about clinically from the relative abundance. I think, you know, that's part of it where we still have a little bit of a, uh, maybe not even a little, maybe a lot of gray area. I mean, it's true. And I think Christine talked about this on the prior episode where just because we've put things taxonomically in the same category doesn't that's a good one too thank you doesn't mean that they all act the same way and so it's a little bit of a sticky wicket in the sense that you know you're grouping a bunch of bacteria that may or may not be similar but there are some generalities that we can talk about and give information on on the report that may in fact help direct either dietary or supplemental treatments great great and that's the that's all we, we have all those elements on there for the full microbiome analysis. So as much as we know about the microbiome, it's on that report. That's so exciting. And that includes, you know, then after that we have all the same biomarkers that we that we have on the, the GIFX currently and all the other results, the same methodologies underpinning. But it's right. a new way to take the information that we've learned and resynthesize it, add clinical utility. And add therapeutic layers as well. Right. Super exciting. Super exciting. So that will be coming out in the near future. And if you have any questions, you certainly can call us up and we'll be talking about this much, much more in the future, I'm sure. Can't wait. Well, I think it's a good time to do question of the day. I think that's a great idea. You think it's a good time? Sure. What time is it? It's always time for question of the day, sir. Good point. And that makes me think, uh, remember back to you mentioned question of the day and, you know, we do this seemingly every episode. So I, I, you mentioned something about a jingle. Did I? You did. And, you know, I just, I thought if we're going to do this thing all the time, maybe, maybe let's like give it a little pizzazz. I didn't really mean that. A little bit of flair. I I think I was trying to dissuade you from singing. Regardless. that was what I I was going for. I had an extra, I had an hour lunch break. And so I just, I kind of, I created something. So I, here, why don't you you just take a listen? Question of the day. It's the question of the day. It's the question of the day. Question of the day. Wow. What do you think? I hate it with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns. Really? Yep. 
But you don't think just like a little bit of that, no. that's catchy? Or no. You don't, you don't think we should use I, that for like every question of the day? I don't think that should ever be played ever again. Really? It begs so many other questions. Like why? I spent a lot of time on that, you know? And I how to, I had to find people to sing. I had to put that, get the garage band fake drummer to make oh a fake God. drum beat. I think you need more hobbies then. This is not good. So I shouldn't play it again then. Never. Wow. Just, just listen to it one more time. Question of the day. It's the question of the day. It's the question of the day. Any better that time? Actually, it's worse. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll work on it. I'll I hate keep, it even more. I'll keep working on it. How's Please that? don't. I'll keep working on it. Why don't we just ask the question of the day? Sure. What's the question of the day? <laughs> The question of the day. Well, but seriously, I'm like traumatized by that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you run the GI effects in a pediatric patient? Ah, uh, that's a very good question of the day. We get that question a lot, actually. We do. Um, Technically, you can run the GI effects on a pediatric patient. We're, we don't discard any samples. We will run them. But there's some caveats to know if you're going to do this as a clinician. First of all, we don't have reference ranges for pediatric patients. We, so, so that means that the reference ranges we have there may or may not apply. And when I think about whether they apply or not, I think about what the GI track of a pediatric, of, or what a child looks like. And we know that during the first at least four years of life, the GI tract is in tremendous flux. The microbiome is in tremendous flux. Things like fecal secretory, IgA, and even calprotectin, it's common for those to be elevated in pediatric patients, which actually makes a lot of sense because they're developing tolerance. They're developing tolerance to food. They have actually naturally more permeability so that they can develop tolerance. So, you know, there's a lot of Flux, a lot of changes, right, and right. even in the, the microbiome, even too. Yeah, right? absolutely. As you introduce more foods and advance the diet, the microbiome changes rapidly. Yeah, and we tend to say, on average, the microbiome doesn't really stabilize until maybe around the age of four. But that's that's a very loose demarcation there. You know, it's going to be different person to person, of course. And given antibiotic history, breastfeeding, all those factors that can influence diversity, it's going to be different child to child. What about collecting in a pediatric patient? What are the concerns people should have? The major concern with collection is that the collection shouldn't be contaminated with urine. So if you're collecting from a diaper, mm. um, it needs to be a clean collection. There can't be urine contamination. You can collect from a diaper, but, and same thing, same rules apply. There's Ideally, you want to have multiple samplings from different areas, but you don't want, you want to make sure there's no urine contamination there. That's, that's tricky. That's the main stipulation. Yeah, that, that sounds like it might be difficult too. Can be, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not impossible. But there's there, there's still information to be gleaned, I guess. Is yeah, what you're I saying. think so. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. I mean, especially if you're looking for infections, potential pathogens, things like that, you certainly can glean information. And, you know, eosinophil protein X is a marker I think about with maybe a potential true food allergy, depending on, you know, what type of foods the child has been eating recently. All those, all those things can still give you information. Great. That's excellent information. Yeah, yeah. And if you run it in a pediatric patient, it might be helpful to call the medical affairs department and discuss it with one of the medical education specialists. Yeah, we'll help put it in context That's of the right. full kind of case yeah. history. And uh, yeah, that was question of the day. Yeah, please. You want to hear it one more time? No, I do not. Okay. Never All again. Right. All right. I'll work on it. Please don't. Well, this has been fun. We got a lot of information that we, we covered. Yeah. And 
I think this is probably my favorite episode so far. Do you want to know why that is? Why? You talked the entire time. You're right. I was wondering why my voice was all scratchy now. Well, it makes me think maybe in the next episode, we should completely change tracks. Okay. Go in a different direction. What are we going to talk about? By we mean, we mean not you. Perhaps. <laughs> I think we should switch to nutrition and talk about nutritional health and nutritional testing. And, you know, the GI tract does completely tie into nutrition and how you absorb your nutrients. So we should switch gears. Good point. Yeah, cool. So let's, let's talk about nutrition next time. Do you think maybe you can let someone else talk? We'll see. The content of the Lab Report podcast is meant to be purely educational. It is not to be misconstrued as medical advice. That sounded very serious, Patty. I am serious. Always. Mm-hmm. Next time on the Lab Report, we don't talk about GI or stool testing, but instead switch gears to nutrition. Yeah, we're going to introduce nutrition and how it fits into functional medicine and touch on some testing. See you there. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. We introduce the functional medicine approach to nutrition. No? No. That's not right.